called The Value of One, which has been a study in soul winning and how you reach people. And the harvest is always ripe. And I like to say that each person is valuable. Uh, each one can reach one. That's something that's just burning into my spirit. So this is something I really believe in, uh, the value of one person. And the Lord just put this you know, verse in my spirit. I want to read 1 Samuel 14, and I want to read the 4th through the 6th verses, and then pray. It says that between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Boses, and the name of the other was Sina. The front one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord, whether saving by many or by few. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the word of the Lord in our hearts and minds. I thank you for the, val- the infinite value that exists in the hearts and the minds of each and every person that's here. And Father, I just thank you for uh, helping us recognize that, see that in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. All right, man. Memorial Day is like one of my favorite holidays. You know that? One of my favorites. Because it's like, uh, you know, not much pressure. <laughs> I'm grateful you know, we get to celebrate it. I'm grateful for America. If there ever was a time to pray for America, it's the time that we're in. And I, for one, don't believe that God is yet done with America. I believe that God's got a purpose in this land. Grateful to be here. I pray rain and to watch war movies. <laughs> She's like, I just want to watch some black and white World War II movies. One of the favorite movies we watch is the movie Hacksaw Ridge. You ever seen Hacksaw Ridge? You know, it's that true story there of Desmond Doss, uh, who's a Christian. And, you know, he was saving people up there at the top of Hacksaw Ridge in the Battle of Okinawa in 1945. Now, my grandfather, my dad's dad, Fred Work Sr., he actually got a Purple Heart in the Battle of Okinawa. And I remember in 1985, he was at our house in the country. He was ice skating. He fell and broke his leg. They went in to get x-rays. You know what they found? That he still had 26 pieces of shrapnel in his leg from a Japanese kamikaze. He, he was there on a, a medic ship, and he was carrying wounded people back and forth when a kamikaze hit. And his story to me from that day was that he'd just take his shoe, and he'd pour out blood, and he had to put the shoe back on and go help get people you know, who were shot up from that battle down to, the, down to the sick bay there, take care of them. Now, I'm grateful for the sacrifices of men like that who served in our country. I'm grateful for all you vets out there that have served. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, and and I'm, I'm grateful for, like, you know, stories of men in the Bible who were not afraid to go to battle. And this verse, the sixth verse, grabbed me. All week I heard the phrase in my spirit, the Lord can save whether by many or whether by few. That's the verse that kept coming. He can save by many or few. Here's the point. One man can turn the tide of battle. This is what Samson did against the Philistines. And it's what... David did in the battle against Goliath. And David's mighty men were certainly no strangers to battles that they faced. And they're individual stories of one person who was able to fight. Now, I went to uh, London, and a few years ago, I was able to go to the Imperial War Museum. It was one of my favorite places in World War II history. And there they had a um, a display of General Bernard Montgomery, Monty. Uh, He was the the, uh, British general during... World War II in North Africa at the Battle of El Alamein when Rommel, the desert fox, was pushing against him. 
And he was the son of an Anglican priest, and he had a prayer that he led the troops in before battle, where he quoted the book of Exodus, and he said, the Lord is a man of war, and he prayed that God would give them victory that day, and God did. And it was like the beginning point uh, there in Europe of the battle being turned against uh, the Nazis. You know, his prayers are recorded. You know who else's prayers I read about was a man named George S. Patton. You ever heard of General Patton? Now, he had some pretty wild prayers. If you've ever read them, they're very entertaining. The way he talks to God. And his prayer before the Lord was that he wanted to smite the Nazis. And, and he went on a gallant charge there, uh, the Battle of the Bulge, which turned that battle on because one guy took initiative and prayed to the Lord. What about your prayers? Are they powerful? You think your prayers can turn the tide of battle? Here's what I've discovered in this passage that stuck out to me. An army of one can win a war. I love this. An army of one. Because the Lord can save by many or by few. He can do it on big numbers, and he can do it with small numbers. Nothing limits him. Now, I know that sounds far-fetched, but the Bible's filled with stories of, you know, gallantry, just like history. And, and I want to read here uh, in these verses. I'm starting in uh, 1 Samuel 14, in verse 6. He said, nothing can save the Lord by many or by few. So verse 7 says that his armor bear. You know, one man can win a war, um, but there are t- there's a team element to it. You know, you always got team and people backing you up. And so here's this armor bearer with him. He said, go ahead and do everything in your heart. I'm with you according to your heart. And Jonathan said, very well, let's cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say, wait here until we'll come to you, then we'll just stand in our place and not go up. But if they say, come on up here, this crazy dude is like, let's go on up because the Lord has delivered them to us and it will be a sign to us. I mean, that's sort of a crazy way of looking at things, don't you think? He said, they call us up, we're just going to go up the hill. That must be the Lord. Now, here's the first thing you got to know about winning wars. One person. First of all, you have to look for an invitation. Yeah, that's what he was looking for. He was looking for one reason to fight. And what this is called is an opportunity. You know, opportunities are endless. Opportunities abound. All you have to do is pick up your eyes and look. They're there. And Jonathan, you know, he's not the only half-cocked person in the Bible. Uh, there's a man named Phineas. And when he saw uh, a plague that was taking place there in Israel, he went with a spear and stabbed the people who were sinning, and it stopped the plague of the Lord. That's a gutsy move. One man did that. You know, I think about Samson who was killing heaps and heaps of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, he went out looking for it. He, he wasn't afraid of them. He was engaging the enemy. And what they were doing was looking for a fight. You know, they're looking for that opportunity. How are you going to find your opportunity? Let me talk to you about finding that opportunity in a battle. The first thing you've got to do is get alone and away with God privately. You read in the first verse of chapter 14 here that what Samuel did... What, or what, what Jonathan did was he got away from the army, he got away from his father, he stepped away from people, and he got alone with the Lord. See, when you spend time with God, you will see things from a higher vantage point, from a whole different level. God will show you things, he'll put impressions in your spirit, you'll be able to identify things that you couldn't before. And it's because you've been alone with the Lord, he'll show you things to come. <clears throat> he'll show you the opportunities that are hidden in plain sight. You know what's so interesting about the passage of Scripture here in the fourth verse? Uh, it mentions 
you know, that they were between the passes. And it mentions a specific place. Uh, they named the rocks Bozaz and Shina. And that's the, the reason they named them is because they were familiar. They knew that place. It was a known place, and it was right there. And what that just tells me is there are opportunities for you to win souls, be a witness, find opportunities in some of the most obvious places that you might have overlooked. Like your neighbors, or your coworkers, or your friends. There's always an opportunity for you to reach somebody. You want, to, you want me to give you an opportunity? I'll give you one right now. It's called VBS, Vacation Bible School. <laughs> I've been, you know, canvassing my neighborhood. I've got neighbor kids coming. I'm working on them. And you might know some kids that need to get out. All it takes is one person to invite someone. You might be able to change this. They're on job So there's an opportunity for you right there. The opportunities are right in front of you. They always exist. They're on job scenes. They're, they're in schoolyards. Opportunistic people, people who see opportunities, are people who are full of faith. Did you know that? They walk by faith, not by sight. They don't walk by feelings. They're, they're able to you know, see things as they exist. And Jonathan, he sort of had this backwards logic. I mean, that's what I put in the notes of my Bible. If the Philistines say, come on up, that means that God has given us the battle. That sounds crazy, don't you think? you got to find opportunities. Now, my Uncle Ralph was telling me about a, a pastor friend in Louisville. Uh, his son, Bob Rogers, pastors one of the largest churches in Louisville today. Now, this was like the 1930s, 1940s. And, you know, in those days, they had houses that you could build uh, like a kit home. And they'd deliver them in the back of trucks. You ever seen those, heard of those things? That's how they did homes, man. they just chip men on a truck. Everything was prefabricated that you could follow the instructions and build a home. That's why homes cost a lot today, because you can't do that anymore. <laughs> now, they did that with churches as well. There was this old pastor, and he was out praying. He said, God, I need a church building. He was out there in the field. He was praying. He, he had a you know, little congregation. He was just starting. You know, he was out praying, and one day, a truck showed up with a prefabricated church. Right there, they dropped it off. He said, this is miraculous. This is an answer to prayer. His next problem, though, was that he didn't know how to build. And he figured, well, there's a tree right here. And if I just use this tree as kind of a place to start building off, we'll be all right. So he built that church with a tree right there in the middle of it to kind of hold it all together. And he's about halfway done when a preacher from uh, the county over was out driving and, and came across his property and discovered that the building had been delivered to the wrong place. And this guy had built the building right there. That's how his church got started, because once you get that built, you can't get it unbuilt. <laughs> But he found an opportunity. He was full of faith. That opportunity came. Opportunities abound. They're limitless. All you got to do is lift up your eyes to the fields because they're ripe for harvest. There's always an opportunity if you go looking for it. They're, they're right there for you to take. So you just got to be a person filled with faith like Jonathan and say, I see that opportunity. I'm going to take it. Now, a second way one man can win a war. I'm still in this uh, 14th chapter. Look at verse number 12. 1 Samuel 14, 12. Jonathan said to the armor bearer, come on up, man. The Lord's delivered them into our hand. And it says they climbed up on their hands and their knees. Doesn't that remind you of like basic training? They're going under barbed wire fences and up a ravine. And his armor bearer came with them. It says they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after them, the armor bearer killed him. Jonathan's like a hot knife through butter here. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within a half acre of land. I mean, he's really going after it. He, he is fighting them up. Here, here's what it tells me. And, and this is such a key for winning battles. And I think it's something that...
understand. Here's the thought. You have to understand the intensity of the battle. The spiritual warfare is no joke, man. And this is like an intense battle that you and I are faced with in life. Jonathan played it out in the natural. You and I play it out in spiritual battles. There is a ferocity to warfare. There's no joke about it. I remember when I was about 10 years old, and I was putting on my old grandpa's World War II stuff. I had some dad's Vietnam stuff, grandpa's World War II stuff. I had a rifle that I got from Disneyland. And I was storming up beaches. I was running through fire and shooting at the Germans. And you know what happened? I tripped, and I went right into the handle of a wheelbarrow knocked the wind out of me and I laid in the ground and I was thinking you know man this must be what it's like to get shot I was calling for the medics I mean and I, I never forgot that moment I was like oh my goodness like I'm just a kid can you imagine the real thing that's a battle man that's what people went through you know, it's amazing today when you think about what's going on in the Ukraine between Russia and the Ukraine, and you don't even know what statistics are accurate. I mean, they say 50,000 men may have been killed in the Battle of Bakhmut recently. I mean, that, that's a, a sobering, incredible thought. There, that's more people killed in that war than were killed during the invasion of Afghanistan in 1978 and 79 by the Soviets. It's really an incredible thing. You know, the Bible is a bloody book. King David wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had too much blood on his hands. And when you read the book of Revelation, it gives you terrifying thoughts of what the future holds for this planet. You and I are not engaged in a physical battle, but we are engaged in a spiritual battle where he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against demonic spirits, principalities, and powers. And there's a number of different ways that we wrestle. One of the ways that we wrestle is... In prayer. We wrestle in prayer. You know, prayer is a discipline. And you need to spend time praying. You need to spend time going before the Lord because there, there's this, this place of, of just working with Him and, and praying. And I, I've had some wrestling matches I've had to pray. It, it, the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so we use these weapons in battle. Let me give you some of the weapons that we use. First of all, we use the, uh, the Word of God. That is your weapon. That's what Jesus used. It's the sword of the Spirit. And the Bible says, no open form again, she will prosper. Now, Elizabeth was uh, in Israel. She went with an organization called Kufi, Christians United for Israel. You've heard me talk about that. That was started by a man named John Hagee. And John Hagee has such an interesting testimony. He was talking about when they first started the church in the 1970s. And at that time, there was a deliverance movement taking place. People were getting healed of, or you know, set free from demonic spirits. There was a man in the church who was going through a divorce in his wife. And it was a painful thing. And one Sunday morning, that man came into the church with a 38 pistol. He walked down to the front in the middle of the sermon. He pointed his gun at John Hagee and he said, what are you going to do now, preacher? And John Hagee said he put his finger in the Bible and he held it up. And you know, that man fired five shots at him. The FBI forensics came and said the bullets went off to the side like that. That man, when he missed, began to bark like a dog, ran out on all fours, and shot himself in the parking lot. He was, he was possessed by a demon. When John Hagee, when the FBI came, he still had his finger in the Bible. He had his finger in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Even I'm just telling you, the word of God is powerful. It's a powerful thing. These are weapons of your warfare. The word of God. 
Uh, a weapon of your warfare is the blood of Jesus. Because, you know, when you have the blood in your life and you have a cleansed conscience, when you feel free of sin, you become a dangerous man to the devil. He can't hold you back. When, when you know that you've been forgiven, suddenly you are able to do incredible things. The name of Jesus is a weapon of your warfare. I like to pray for people and watch them get healed in Jesus' name. I pray for miracles. They take place in Jesus' name. I expect things that I pray for because I'm praying in Jesus' name. That's a weapon of my warfare. Uh, a weapon of my warfare is praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. You know, the Bible says in the book of Romans, when you don't know what to pray as you ought, you pray in the Spirit. And I'm telling you, I've had more answers, more victories, more solutions that have come because I've been praying in the Spirit. I just get along with the Lord. I seek His face. And I'm amazed how problems just get smoothed out. It's an incredible weapon. The, the prayers of a praying person in the Spirit, and God has this amazing ability to just take things and fix problems. You know where we wrestle at is in your mind. That's where the battle really takes place. 2 Timothy 1.7, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. He's giving you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, a disciplined mind. You know, mental health is like a big buzzword today. And it seems like everyone's struggling with it, trying to maintain it. And the Bible tells me that God's given me a sound mind if I meditate on Scripture. If I'll take Scripture and meditate on it, the Lord will give me peace and a, and a sound mind. When you renew your mind, it's an incredible thing. You know, I was um, kind of just, I woke up the other night and, and, and I was kind of having some things go through my heart. And I found that, you know, when I kind of wake up in states like that, one of the best things I can do is just start dwelling on how much God loves me. Man, a lot of people don't ever do that. If you really just get a hold of, man, God loves me. He's not giving me a spirit of fear. He's giving me a spirit of power he, and love. He loves me. A sound mind will come to you. And you know what happened? I, I'm there meditating on that scripture, holding on to it. And, and Elizabeth woke up that morning with a dream that answered the very thing that I was struggling with. And it was so incredible to me that God's, God's answer came through my wife in that moment. Exercise uh, is something you got to do in your spirit. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Get that word going on in your heart. Exercise. Speaking of exercise, let me also tell you that I have been working out at the gym, and exercise is a better way of dealing with mental health conditions than antidepressant medication. <laughs> it's called endorphins in your brain. And if you can get blood and oxygen flow up to your brain, you'd be surprised how much better you feel, how much your mind will be clear. It's easier to uh, you know, meditate on healthy things. I I'm just telling you, there's ways you can have a sound mind. Exercise yourself towards godliness and go run a mile. That'll help you. We wrestle against demonic forces. So in your mind, it's a personal level. But there are corporate battles that you and I face. One of the corporate battles is like the battle for your marriage. Man, I can't tell you how many people get in such issues in the culture we're in today, man. And it's like there's a real demonic agenda to wear down the family. You've got to fight for your marriage. You have to have personal growth and development so that you can be a better husband, a better parent. You've got to learn how to date your wife. These are things that people need to do. And there's a spirit that works against that to try to destroy it. There's a fight on for your family. You know that? I mean, man, the, the culture today is like people are so easily offended, and, and you have to know how to pray. Sometimes the warfare you have to have with children is knowing how to love them. 
Uh, the Bible says the love of many will go cold in the last days. And yet the Bible also tells me in Jude 20, if I'll pray in the Spirit, I'll keep myself in the love of God. There's something about learning how to love that allows you to win battles. Uh, there, there's a battle that's taking place in our culture right now. I mean, man, the, the, on a governmental level. And you're seeing insanity take place. Do you, you know, uh, the, remember when they had the drag queen show at the zoo? I, I emailed those jokers. I thought that was the craziest thing. You know, today there's actually a uh, Bible reading uh, show at the zoo. So you can bring your kids out of that. They got some people reading scriptures. I like that. And I'm glad to live in Montana. I don't know if you saw what the government just passed. They said that you can't have drag shows now at libraries or schools or government-funded things. Man, I'm grateful for that. And you better be able to understand that there's a battle for the culture and, and that demonic agendas are at work. By the way, there's uh, demonic battles over churches. Because what happens is, uh, you know, you got pastors who get soft on speaking truth. I'm, I'm seeing it over and over. Religious broadcast lines are getting drawn. Do you know Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, just spoke to the National Religious Broadcasters Association. And he said, you better get ready because there's a full-scale push to try to silence voices by taking away bank accounts. I mean, if you don't line up with a woke agenda, it, it's like they, they want to do everything they can to silence you. And listen, you can't be afraid of it. You have to understand the nature of the battle. That doesn't mean you have to be out rude and yelling at people. You walk in love. But it means you know how to fight battles in the spirit. You've got to know how to fight and how to pray. I like to say you've got to be uh, you know, kind to people, but ruthless with demonic spirits. You're engaged in warfare. That's why Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning a fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He said, it's not strange. You're in a battle. It's happening around the world. And if you are willing to wrestle, you can win the war. And if you're willing to wrestle, you can win some souls. You just got to know how to pray for them. You got to know how to love them. You got to know how to engage them. You, you got to understand there's a spiritual battle taking place. It's real. And, and you got to know how to fight the spirit and love people. That's how battles take place. Now, number three here, and I'm still in this same chapter. Uh, what's happened here is that, you know, they've had a breakthrough. Jonathan... He, he has this battle, and they start, you know, pushing the Philistines uh, up the hill. And the Philistines are running back, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on. Saul calls for the troops. They're trying to gather everybody. And look at the 20th verse. Saul and all the people who were there were assembled, and they went out to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. This is what generals will call the fog of war. It's sort of like when you don't fully know what's happening, you need to get you know, information or intelligence on the ground, and when there's a battle taking place, it's like you don't always have real-time intelligence. So they're, they're trying to assess the situation. In verse 21, he said that there were Hebrews with the Philistines, who it said had went up with them from the camp and the surrounding country. I mean, evidently these guys were carrying water for the Philistines on some level. They might have been you know, put in bondage. Who knows what they were doing? But it said that they also joined the Israelites, who were Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, all the men of Israel who had moved to Montana and hidden in the mountains, like a bunch of preppers. It said these guys showed up when they heard the Philistines fled, and they followed hard after them in battle. And I like what the 23rd verse says, the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Now, here's a third way you can win wars, and one man can win a war you got to understand the influence that leaders have. Leadership is an inspirational force. 
it'll inspire you. You know, the right leadership, it, 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 it will make or break you, man. It, 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 it can incite you. It can excite you. It can propel you to whole new levels. And I remember when I had a coach in high school that I just enjoyed playing with. And it's like, man, that inspired me. I always wanted to do my best and go the extra mile because I had someone whose leadership I believed in. You know, God knows where to find the right leaders. He, he knows where leaders are. Uh, he found Moses on the backside of the wilderness, and he found Joshua because he was following close after Moses. He found Samuel uh, when he was there in Eli's home. He found, you know, King David a- a- as he was with the sheep. He, he found Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. He, he knows where to find the right leaders. You know, I'm always trying to lear- learn about leadership, uh, and uh, it is so crucial. I mean, leadership is one of those things that really will make or break you, and I, I enjoy reading books about it all the time because people follow leadership. They respond to leadership. They're looking for leadership. Leadership motivates people. It motivates them at any level, whether it's in your home. Children crave leadership. Wives are looking for leaders. You hear me, men? It's good to be a leader in the home. It, it, it is, uh, there's such an absence of it in the world today. And it happens at schools. It happens at jobs. It happens at businesses. It happens in government. At any level, any organization you're a part of, leadership is required in situations. Leadership is decisive. And I think about Jonathan. He took decisive battle action. He made a decision to go up that hill and take out the enemy. That was a very decisive move. And that one little victory became a springboard. It's interesting how one little move can create a snowball. You know, snowballs turn into avalanches and they start very small, but they can move quickly. They start with little things. The littlest things can get them going. What I've discovered is if you will take decisive action, then you can take something little and it will grow incrementally until you have breakthroughs. And all it takes is that decisive action of a leader. That's what Jonathan did. Leadership is courageous. I mean, imagine what Jonathan did right here. And his courage became contagious. It's like infectious to people when they see it. You know, when it's like when I'm wrestling with my kids. And, you know, I, sometimes I need to beat them just to, you know, when I wrestle with them, not beat them up, but just wrestle with them. I need to display that, that I'm, I'm the boss. But every now and again, you got to let them, give them, you know, chances to win, right? So if I get on the ground and then one of them jumps on me and the other one jumps on me, and, and that's very, they get, they get very courageous. They, they, they feel like they can take that out. I mean, they, they all run, they jump. I mean, it, it creates confidence in them, right? And then I stand up and shake them all off like, I'm Goliath with the Philistine. <laughs> Leadership is something that inspires hope in people. That's what Jonathan did. Hope is a powerful force. Hope keeps you moving forward. You remember that illustration that Adam was sharing a few weeks ago about the, the rats drowning? You might have to go back and look that up, man. That was quite a thought. Hope is something that will allow you to multiply your focus and your attention Hope is something that propels you in the right direction. And when people feel that they have hope, they can push themselves to incredible limits. They can go to the far ends of the earth to do the right thing. Now, I gleaned a lot from this story as I'm reading through these verses here. It tells us in this 20th verse that there was a very great confusion. I read that verse. Now, we live in this really confusing time. It's called the information age. 
But you could call it the disinformation age. Now, you know that in the, I think it was like the fourth century, there's a Japanese man named Sun Tzu, and he wrote a book called The Art of Warfare. This is a famous book. And that book details how all warfare is based upon deception. That, that's the whole point of it. That's why you don't know what's happening between Russia and the Ukraine. You really don't know what the statistics are. You don't know how many people have been killed because both the Ukrainians and the Russians actively push disinformation. I mean, it's really hard. You have to be so wise to be able to perceive truth in the world today. There, there's an agenda on behalf of corporations, governments, people to try to push things. Now, if you think that's bad, just remember that Satan is always trying to push lies, and the only thing that stands in his way is the Word of God. That's what you got at. There, there's all kinds of disinformation in your mind that tell you you're not going to make it, you're unlovable, you, you, you're going to fail, but there's something called the Word of God, which is where you get your truth from. And you've got to be able to discern what truth is in the battle that we're facing. You cannot be confused. Because God is not the author of confusion, is he? He's the author of peace. I like the 21st verse. There were Hebrews with the Philistine. Do you realize some Hebrews were on the wrong side of the battle? I mean, that, that is a strange thing. But, you know, when I think about the culture we're in today, that there are Christians who it seems like they're fighting with the Philistines. And it's like they have been influenced by the world. But what I have found is if the Word of God really is in someone's heart, all it takes is a little bit of the Holy Spirit to quicken things, and you watch people switch sides. You know that? I mean, it's like they're not as far away as you think they might be. They, they might have a mindset. They might have something they're not seeing correctly, but it takes the conviction from the Holy Spirit, and you could watch what happens when, when the battle changes around. In verse 22, it says there were souls hiding in the rocks. These, these are like... Uh, People who are hurt. Man, I know a lot of Christians who are very hurt. They're hurt by the church. They're hurt by friendships. They're hurt by relationships. And so they're up hiding in places. It's like they're afraid. And I've seen this with people. Man, they get afraid. They get beat down with things. But all it takes is for the Holy Spirit to start moving. All it takes is a little... Activity. All it takes is for the word of God and someone's spirit to start getting stirred up. People start getting healed. They start growing. They start making movement in their life. Man, there's something about the, the word of God coming alive in someone's heart, and they will engage in the fight. And I really like what it says in the 23rd verse, the battle shifted. Because the battle belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? One man can win a war. You might be that man. Because listen, there's a battle taking place for the souls of people. There's a battle taking place for your family. There are battles that take place. But you can be that one person, just like Jonathan, that can inspire a victory. And all it takes is for you to be a leader, is for you to stand up. All it takes is a little initiative and a little identification of an opportunity in your part. You know, I was thinking about Desmond Doss. He was that one man in battle who turned the tide of a whole battle at the Battle of Okinawa. And you know, it's crazy to think of my grandfather was there, my grandpa Fred. You can turn that tide. All it takes is for you to see an opportunity. Opportunities exist everywhere you look, man. Everywhere there's an opportunity. You just got to be able to see it. And if you can't see the opportunity, it could be that you haven't been alone with the Lord long enough. Just get alone with Him. Just get in His presence. Watch what he does. You know, when I, I get to sometimes points like this in the sermon, when the message, 
Sometimes it feels like, like I sense the Holy Spirit on me. And, and then I just kind of do a scan across the room. And I just sense, you know, like, is the Lord leading me? You know, is, is there an opportunity to bless someone? Maybe he's got a word for someone. Sometimes he moves on that way. Sometimes he catches me out in the foyer. But I've learned to try to at least look for the opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I try to keep my head to swivel. Where, where, where are you leading? Where are you guiding? And the opportunities are there. The opportunities to witness, that's a question I have when I come across people. In my mind, I'm like, how can I turn this around and share the Lord with them? I'm looking for those opportunities. Uh, maybe it's understanding the intensity of the battle. There's a reason the Bible says that you've got to be sober-minded because it's a real battle you and I are in, man. And you've got to know how to armor up, put on the armor of God, and I watch people who become casualties of battle because they don't know how to wear their armor. They don't know the realities of spiritual warfare. And, and a lot of times you might be going along and you just think it's normal that you're going through some kind of funk or problem you're in. And many times it is a spirit working against you. In fact, the older I've gotten and the wiser I've gotten, the more I've learned to try to identify, is this a spirit working against me? Because the nature of the battle is very real. You gotta know how to wear that armor effectively. You gotta know how to use the weapons of your warfare. And if you can't use those weapons, man, it can be very challenging for you to succeed in battle. And it has to do with being willing to lead. Are you willing to lead? I cannot tell you how many people might be a moment that want to do things, but they don't want to lead things. And it's man, there might be a moment when God places a burden of leadership on you for your family, for your neighborhood for your school. That there might be a moment when you have to be the one that stands up and say something. And it's the Lord leading you to do that. All it takes is a person who understands the nature of leadership and being willing to be an influencer. But not everyone's ready to do that. So I don't know where you're at, man. Maybe it's time for you to stand up and be a leader. Or maybe it has to do with, you know, this intensity of the battle. I, I, if you haven't seen it, if you don't know it's real, we're seeing those opportunities. And I want to pray, though. I want to pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. I thank you that for the individuals in this room. You know the hair of our head, Lord. Each and every one of them. You know exactly what's going on hearts and minds. And you see opportunities. Opportunities in the past. And you see opportunities that are coming. And I pray, Lord, that you quicken people, even right now. Lord, you prepare them for opportunities ahead of them. Yeah, you're going to see, start, you're going to see them. I'm praying that right now. I pray right now that when the opportunity comes, you'll take it. Father, I thank you for strengthening people in, in the battle, in, in their minds, in their hearts. I thank you, Lord, for girding us up and strengthening us. And so we wouldn't be weak, but we'd be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Father, I thank you for strong, strong people, not afraid of the enemy. Father, I pray for leaders. I pray that they would rise up in homes, in businesses, in job opportunities, as parents as men and women of God, as people in this country, I pray, Lord, for initiative to be taken in their life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Amen amen. And I just believe God's got great things ahead for you. And I think he's going to show you opportunities you had never seen before to be a witness and a worker on his behalf. Amen. One man can do it. That's all it takes is one. You know, when I think about the greatest invitation that God ever gave is when he offered whosoever the free gift of salvation. Whosoever. 
the Bible says, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has the widest offer ever. And God invites everyone to experience that salvation, whether you're in Alaska or the lower 48 or the United Kingdom, or you live in Afghanistan, from Cape Town to Cairo, Argentina to Abu Dhabi. He, he, he's got a wide offer for you. If you accept his offer, that's all it takes. He, he has an invitation waiting for his people. And that invitation is to place your faith in Jesus. So I want to take that moment this morning. If you don't know the Lord, if you've drifted, I want to just give you the chance to accept that offer. If I get every head bowed and eye closed. I don't know where you're at this morning. Someone might need to hear away from him, close to him. Here's the offer you have. Win souls and make disciples. Go find someone who's never heard or is hurt or is wounded and love on them. Be a blessing. Be a witness. Everywhere you go, man, use it as an opportunity to bless the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up this morning. You know, I just sense in my spirit is the peace of God. I thank you, Lord, this morning for your peace. Mm. And I pray, you know, I feel impressed to pray this over you. I pray for a peaceful, wonderful weekend and a wonderful week. I pray for any confusion that you're facing this week to have clarity. I pray, Lord, that battles that we're engaged with situations that you felt like were hopeless things where you didn't know what to do. I feel like the Lord's going to make crooked places straight for you this week, this very week. Difficult things are going to become easy and rough places smooth. I pray that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Alright, man, if you, if, you got, if you want prayer, we're here for you. We love you very much. I hope you have a great holiday weekend. Uh, I'm taking off tomorrow to go camping with my wife. I can't wait to just be alone with my family, so I'm having fun with that. Love you all very much. We'll catch you next week. See you Wednesday. You're a blessing. All right, if you want prayer, we're here for you.